I am grateful to be here. In case you also don't know, uh, I've been praying for you and this church for a very long time. And from afar, before we moved up here this summer, been kind of keeping tabs on everything, not in a bad sort of way, but just asking, say, Jeremy, for example, how things are going, or even Brett, um, your former uh, uh, pastoral assistant, who's a good friend of mine as well. So grateful for you all, and I'm grateful to be here um, to worship with you all. And from what I've seen so far, you all love to pray. So let's pray one more time before we dive into God's Word. Oh Lord, we praise you, as we've just sung about, because you are great and worthy to be praised. And we pray that right now, as we go to your Word, that this is a continuation of that, that with the posture of our hearts, that with my mouth and my words, with our willingness to hear what you say and to obey it, to trust in your word, that this is another time of worship and praise to you. Or use your word to help us, to convict us, to correct us, and change us ultimately so that we will look more like your son, Jesus Christ. We ask in his name. Amen. Amen. So, I love poetry. And the first poem that I ever learned was a poem by the, by the poet Langston Hughes. It was called Dreams. And I learned it around the age of five or six. Here it goes. Hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die, life is like a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. Hold fast to dreams, for if dreams go, life is like a barren field frozen with snow. This poem is meant to bring a sense of encouragement and determination for people to continue to hold on to their dreams and to hold on to their hopes. And as a boy, I love that poem. In fact, I still love that poem. It's so simple, so sincere, and so true. But what do you do if your dreams have already gone and died? Maybe the life that you hope to have had by now is very different than the life that you actually do have. Where you aspire to be by the age of, insert whatever age, has come and gone, and you still aren't quite there yet. Maybe the life of your dreams, or even the marriage of your dreams, the family of your dreams, the career of your dream, is just that, a dream a childlike fantasy. What if because of these dashed dreams and broken hopes that your life sometimes does look like a bird with broken wings that cannot fly or like a field that's barren, frozen, hopeless? What do we do then? Please meet me in Psalm chapter 30 in your copy of God's Word. And the Bible's provided, that's on page 461. I know that you all have been journeying through the Psalms each summer, and I love the book of Psalms, and I, tr I trust that you do as well. I hope that this book is becoming sweeter and sweeter to you as you go. The book of Psalms is a song book or prayer book for God's people, both a prayer journal and a hymnal, if you will. 
Psalms that cover every single range of emotion in all of our lives, from sorrow to joy, from defeat to victory, despair to hope, and lament to praise. And just like the last several Psalms, this Psalm is a Psalm of David. King David, the shepherd boy who became king over all of Israel, the one whom the Lord said that one day one of his descendants would reign on the throne forever and ever. And on Psalm chapter 30, you have an inscription written over it, which clarifies that. It says, a psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. And before we get into the passage, that word there, temple, could also be translated as house or as palace. So that means in the original context, this psalm was likely written after David was anointed as king and when his reign was established. So for example, 2 Samuel 5 verses 9 through 12 talk a little bit about this. It says, And David lived in the stronghold of his, and called it the city of David. And David built the city all around from Milo inward. And David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. And Haram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons who built David a house. And David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. So most commentators think that this house is in view rather than the temple because David was not the one to actually build the temple. Many of us know that. It was actually his son, Solomon. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the Lord talks to David about what's going to happen beyond him. It says, when your days are fulfilled and when you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up an offspring after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And others, like Spurgeon, believe that David, in this psalm, when he's talking about uh, the, the, the glory that would come in the house or in the temple, that he was speaking prophetically, knowing that God would keep his word because he's the covenant-making and keeping God, that he would eventually establish this rule and reign of his throne. Either way, God's word for us this afternoon is fitting because in it, we will see that the Lord himself is the one that brings his people from lament to praise. So I'm going to read the text, Psalm chapter 30. Please follow along with me. This is God's word. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and not let my foes rejoice over me. O oh Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O oh Lord, you have brought me my soul up from Sheol. You have restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O oh you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. 
What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Amen. So here's our main idea if you are taking notes this afternoon. One main point. Our faithful Lord brings his people from lament to hopeful praise. Our faithful Lord brings his people from lament to hopeful praise. And for our time together, as we go through God's word together this afternoon, we're going to see, first of all, the Lord's faithfulness to David as we just walk through the text and highlight what's in it. Then we will examine the text and see how this text is fulfilled in the greater David, Jesus Christ, the Lord. And then we'll think about some ways that we can flesh this out and apply it to our lives a bit more directly. So first of all, the Lord's faithfulness through King David in this psalm directly, bringing him from lament to hopeful praise. Just like Psalm 29 of last week, the Lord all caps, Yahweh is all over Psalm 30. The covenant-making and the covenant-keeping God, the one who keeps his promises and the one who keeps his people, the one who David is addressing in this psalm, is all over the place. So just like the name of the Lord is all over this psalm, the faithfulness of the Lord is all over the life of David. So in the first several verses, David gives praises to the Lord for all he has done. He says, I will extol you, meaning I will praise you. I will bless you. I will lift up your name high. And then David quickly rattles off several reasons for extolling and glorying in the Lord. Look down at the end of verse one, for example. It says, for you have drawn me up and not let my foes rejoice over me. King David would have had many enemies being the king of Israel. And if this occasion is just like we think it is, or like many commentators think that it is, then this was right after David was uh, defeated the Philistines, that he was anointed as king in 2 second, in second Samuel chapter 5. So that means even in that victory, if that's what David has in view, he's quickly giving honor and glory to the Lord. He's putting the Lord's name all over his life. And he's saying that God deserves the glory and the praise for everything that would have happened. It's like a group project, right? Some of us might be familiar with group projects, and maybe you were the one who didn't really do a whole lot of work, but you were able to slap your name on it at the end of it, kind of get that same grade. Well, David's here like, I don't want my name on it. Put the Lord's name all over what he has done and give him the glory for it, for all that he has done. Just even look at, at, those, at the psalm itself and how it's broken down, and you will see how David is trying to highlight what the Lord has done. Verse 1, he says, I it will extol you, O Lord. And then verse 2, he says, I cry to you for help. Scroll down to verse 8. 
I cry and plead for mercy. Verse 10, O Lord, hear and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. In verse 12, I will give thanks to the Lord forever. David is calling out to the Lord to praise him, to ask for his help, to beg for mercy, and then to give him thanks for all that he has done. Brothers and sisters, when do you go to the Lord? Maybe it seems appropriate to cry out to the Lord when you're in need of help and when you're in need of mercy. But maybe you can also slow down a little bit and simply praise him and thank him for all that he has done. We can all do that a little bit more in our lives. And think of even how the Lord responds when David cries out for help, when he cries out for mercy, when he extols the Lord and for for the things that the Lord has done in his life. Again, verse one. David says, I will stall you. Why? The Lord has drawn him up. He's let him not go down to the pit. In verse two, David says, you have healed me. Verse 3 said, you have brought my soul from Sheol, you have restored my life. Verse 7, you made my mountain stand strong. Verse 11, you turned my mourning into dancing, you have clothed me with gladness. So one thing that you and I could do today, even before this day ends, is recount all the ways that the Lord has been faithful and good to you. And by God's grace, we can say things for the people sitting in this room, like, Lord, you have saved me from my sin. You have saved me from death. You have healed me. You have restored my marriage. You have restored my life. You have delivered me from addiction. You have sustained me through my suffering. And you have turned my mourning into dancing. You have given me joy. There are testimonies of God's grace all throughout this room right now. And we should praise the Lord for that. And the Lord indeed deserves our praises for all that he has done. And this is why David continues to go to him. And the wording of verses 2 and 3 sounds like David was experiencing some physical harm, like he was even near death. Go ahead and look at the text. It says, O Lord my God, I cried out to you for help, and you have healed me. You have brought up my soul from Sheol. You have restored me to my life from going among those who go down to the pit. It's like David was near death at this point. That's why he says, you brought up my soul from Sheol, the place of the dead, the place that would have symbolized the grave, death, emptiness, lifelessness. The Lord rescued David, and that's why he's inviting all of God's people to sing with him, to celebrate God's faithfulness in praising the Lord together. That's what he does in verse 4. To sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. And what's beautiful about the Psalms, and many of these Psalms, maybe you've noticed it, is that David often goes from the singular to the plural. He says, Lord, this is what you've done for me. Now I want everybody to know. Now I want everybody to sing God's praises along with me. Brothers and sisters, that's what we do when we gather as a church. We're going from the singular to the plural. We're going from Lord help me to Lord help us. 
We're going from, Lord, thank you for being with me, to, Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's going from the singular to the plural, which is a beautiful picture of what we get to do as a church. So he's saying, me singing all by myself praises to the Lord, that's fine. But it's better if we sing all together. If we collectively give glory to our faithful covenant-making and keeping God. So even as we've sung so far this afternoon, as we've been singing these beautiful words to these songs, looking around and seeing evidence of God's grace and faithfulness. And even if you're here this afternoon and you're wrestling with sin and you're struggling or you're grieved with the suffering and trials that you're enduring, Be willing to borrow someone else's faith and encouragement in the Lord. That's partly why we gather so often together, to encourage one another. But look at verse 5. It's what he goes on to continue to say. He says, For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the, mo- the morning. And that anger there might be referring to any number of sins that David would have committed. There's so many, just like with our lives, there's so many that we could often even speculate. And we kind of know of some of the big things, right? Like David and Bathsheba and Uriah, etc. But in First Chronicles 21, there's an example of King David being called out by God as being sinful because he took a population count of the people before bringing them into battle. He didn't trust in the Lord to be with them and on their side. He didn't trust in the fact that the numbers didn't matter if the Lord was on his side fighting with him. And the Lord counted that as sin. And the Lord punished his people because of that. The Lord was angry with David, but it says even here that his anger was for a moment, and yet his favor for a lifetime. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes with the morning. And this should not for any of us minimize sin in the slightest, but it should magnify the faithfulness of our Lord and the mercy of our Lord. It means that we should go towards the Lord even when we sin and stray. And even if you go back to that first Chronicles 21 example, if you read it later on, David says, Lord, I'm going to fall into your hands. Let me fall into your hands because I trust that you are merciful. Don't let me fall into the hands of my enemies. If you are struggling with sin, run towards the Lord. Don't run away from him. Just the other day in my household, there was a A clear example of this, my wife and I have four beautiful children. I won't tell you which kid is responsible for this part, but maybe I'll tell you afterwards. So my wife was instructing one of my children to be careful with some plates that she was helping with in the kitchen. She was holding too many things. She didn't really listen. She said, you need to listen, you're gonna drop the plates. She didn't quite listen, she dropped the plates and they broke. She didn't heed the warning. And my daughter was messed up about it. She was distraught. She was embarrassed. 
And she tried to run upstairs in her guilt and in her shame. And what I tried to tell her is that you running away from mom is the wrong direction. You're going the opposite way. If you know your mom's care for you, you should run towards her. You will receive correction, but you will receive love and mercy and help. Don't run away. Run towards her. Brothers and sisters, if you've been running away from the Lord this afternoon, or maybe even this season out of guilt or shame, remember the gospel. This is exactly why Jesus came, to forgive of sin, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He is faithful and just to forgive because of his finished work on the cross. Don't run away from him. Run towards him boldly. You will find mercy and help at his throne of grace. Since the Lord is gracious and full of mercy, as his word says, he's slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, and his mercy refreshes every single morning. This is what we should appeal to as we go to the Lord and cry out for mercy. And that's exactly what David does, starting in verse 6. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was dismayed. And there's a lot of speculation around these verses here. Like, what does David mean when he says, I shall never be moved? On his face, that sounds a little bit prideful, right? But if you look at some other psalms, the psalmists are are content to say things like that. It's not a, a statement of pride. It's a statement of assurance of the Lord being on their side. But it does also say there that you hid your face and I was dismayed. So, like, what's going on there? Was this really a statement of pride and then the Lord had to rebuke and humble David? Or was that a statement of trust in the Lord? I think David was affirming his trust in the Lord. Even at the same time, he was dismayed by what felt like an absence of God's presence in his life. Maybe you feel that way right now. When it comes to trusting in the Lord, you want to trust him. You want to remain in him. You want to abide in him. You want to remain faithful. You can recall his faithfulness to you in different times or previous seasons of your life. But today, you feel like the Lord has moved on from you. Or as if because of something maybe you would have done in your past that the Lord has hid his face from you. David makes a similar statement to this in Psalm chapter 27, which I know you all covered a few weeks ago. And that's the same sort of tension where it seems like this is what the Lord has done. You are faithful. I want to dwell in your house forever and ever and dwell with your tent in your presence. And then in verse seven, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. It's like what happened between one thing and another. Right. But how did the Lord answer David? After crying out to him for mercy, the Lord answered David by saying, seek my face. That's Psalm 27, verse 8. 
Brothers and sisters, if you are feeling that the Lord is distant from you today, be reminded by the songs that we sing together as we hear his word read and preached that God actually is not going anywhere. He has not gone anywhere from you. He is near his people and he is near to the brokenhearted. That's what his word says. Instead of running away from him, seek his face and you will find his mercy. And that seems to be what David continues to do here because he cries out directly to the Lord. And that's what it means to lament. It means to long for the Lord to intervene, but to look to him as we wait for him to intervene. To long for the Lord to intervene, but to look to him as we wait. Look at verse 8 of Psalm 30. It says, To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. David is lamenting here. He is longing for relief, but he's looking to the Lord to intervene, to be merciful to him, even in the face of death and pain. Some of us might have a hard time keeping up with what's going on in the world and watching the news or scrolling through things on our phone because it's just so much pain, isn't it? It's just so dark. Locally and globally, sin and suffering abound. It seems like everywhere. And while we should not be consumed by the sin and suffering of this world, we should let the sin and suffering of this world remind us that things are not how they should be. Let's not quickly overlook death or sin or suffering or even grief. Brothers and sisters, it is good and right and biblical to mourn, to grieve, to be sad when we see these things. We should do so biblically, but we should also do so together as brothers and sisters in Christ, trusting in the fact that all of this sin, all of this suffering, all the pain that we see around us or that we have in our own lives will not last forever. Our grief will not last forever, and it doesn't last for David either. That's why he goes on to say the following in verse 11 says, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So if you notice in this psalm, David toggles between lament and praise, but it's not really neat, right? It doesn't just start out with praise and then quickly to lament, and then quickly back to, like, it's kind of wrapped up together. That's kind of how life is, isn't it? And we would love it to be very neat and tidy in different categories, where we had our season of lamenting, and now our season of joy, our season of sorrow, and now our season of hope, or of victory, or of blessing. That's just not how life is. However, what David does, which is a model for us in this psalm, is that he marks those periods by praying to the Lord, by crying out to him. And even in verse 11, he says it's time to remove the sackcloth. 
which would have been the garments worn for times of mourning. He says, it's time to take that off. And it's time to instead put on gladness. So growing up in my household, we had clothes for school and shoes for school. And then we had dress clothes and dress shoes. Same closet, but there were rules, right? Like you didn't mix those things up. You didn't go to school in your dress clothes. And you made sure that you had everything on and right and tidy. If you went outside to play in the dirt with your school clothes, for example, that would be a problem. That's not what it's for. Your sneakers, your tennis shoes, yeah, you can go run around in that. But your dress shoes, no, you don't do that. That's for church. That's when we dress up, etc. And you don't get rid of one thing or the other. They are all bound up together in your household, in your closets, right? But you wear whatever is fitting for the occasion. So when David here is saying that now there's an occasion for joy and rejoicing, however brief it may be, it's time to take off the sackcloth. It's time to clothe myself with gladness. Not saying that suffering will not come again, but when it comes, I will lament and I will go to the Lord in prayer. But now it's the time to clothe myself with gladness. And David was glad to wear that out. And brothers and sisters, if you are lamenting right now, you are in the right place. If you are in a season of joy right now, you are also in the right place. It's like the Bible says in James chapter 5, verse 13, where James says, Is there anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is there anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. James assumes that they're all gathered together as the body of Christ at one time, that there are people there who are suffering and people who are cheerful. If you're suffering, you should pray. If you're cheerful, sing praise. And notice, when you got here this afternoon, no one asked you at the door, are you suffering today? Then go sit over there. Are you cheerful today? You could sit on that side. Like, you know, if you go to a doctor's office. We don't, we don't mix things up like that. We don't separate them. Because we do all of that together. And our gathering together as a church here in the flesh allows us to look up to the Lord together, but also look around to our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we can weep with those who weep. And we can rejoice with those who rejoice. And that might happen on the same afternoon. Don't be surprised by that. With prayer and praise, we can go to the Lord together. With prayer and praise, we can go to the Lord together in seasons of suffering and also seasons of rejoicing. Now, our whole lives should be lives that are marked by praise to the Lord, not just as we sing. So praise is more than just singing, but it's not less than that. And the Lord knew what he was doing when he gave us these instruments called our voices so that we can sing praises to him. And he has a way of using even song itself to turn our mourning into dancing. So keep singing, church, even if you have to be singing through your tears. You don't know who's it going to encourage as you do that. Like many years ago, I remember singing a song at our church back down in Miami. And we were singing the song in Spanish. And my Spanish back then was muy malo. It's better now. But I was just singing. I didn't know what I was saying. 
And all these people were crying in the congregation, and I didn't understand why until we started singing the song in English. That's when I'm like, oh, I get it. And I couldn't stop crying either. Talking about singing and praising the Lord even through sorrow. That's what the song was about. Brothers and sisters, keep worshiping, praising, and singing to the Lord like it matters to your brothers and sisters in Christ because it does. And as much as we've seen in the life of David in this toggle between lament and praise, we haven't even seen the half of it yet. Because there is a greater David who came, and we see this text most clearly fulfilled in Christ. So let's focus on him now and see the Lord's faithfulness through him and how he fulfills this text. And in Jesus Christ, the, Dave, the greater David, this text is fulfilled because that throne that David could not sit on, that Solomon eventually sat on, was left vacant by Solomon. But that prophecy was looking past Solomon to a greater king whose rule and reign would never, ever end. And the Messiah even came through through David's lineage and family and Jesus Christ. God in the flesh came to this world for the sake of his enemies. The Bible says, while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. He lived a life of purity and perfection in this world, free of sin, free of any deceit. And yet he still had enemies. He still had foes plotting against him. And he was unjustly arrested and sentenced to death. And these enemies rejoice over him by mocking him. And they beat him and they spat at him. They put a scarlet robe on him to mock his claim as the king of all. They even put a crown of thorns on his head. And they hung him up on a cross between two criminals, between two thieves. And even on the cross, his enemies rejoice over him, shouting from below, If you are really the Christ, save yourself! not knowing that he came to save them. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this world to save us through his death on the cross. But why did he die? For our sin and our crimes against God. Because God is holy and just. He died because of our sins, so that by faith in him we could be reconciled to God. Because only Jesus' sacrifice would suffice. He was the only one to live blameless me, blamelessly in this world. Oh, but think about it. On the cross, the Father turned his face away from Jesus as he poured out his wrath upon him. And Jesus took it. The Bible says that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. And he was buried into a tomb down in the pit, breathless, lifeless, hopeless, and weeping endured for a few days. But then joy came on that third morning when Jesus got up out of the grave and Jesus rose from the grave to the praise and glory of God, defeating sin and death and hell and the grave in the process so that we could have joy in him forever and ever. So that we can be forgiven of our sins and reconciled to God forever and ever. So we can have our pleas to God for mercy 
answered with his very presence and his very righteousness through his son, Jesus Christ, the Lord. If you're here and you're not a Christian, know that there was great profit in the death of Jesus Christ. His death can be our gain and can be your gain if you put your faith in him today. He offers us eternal life now and eternal life forevermore. And friends, if you don't give your life to Jesus by faith, you will face death and eternal punishment and separation from God because of your sins against God. Yet you can turn to Christ today by faith. A whole lot of people here would love to talk to you about what that means to give your life to Jesus. And brothers and sisters in Christ, let's remember who we're thinking about, who we're singing to, who we're singing our praise to. Let's think about what his word says in Romans 8, for example. Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It's like, what does that even mean? We will see that all in glory one day, but for the meantime, that means that we can trust in him right now. The Lord is for you, beloved, and nothing can ever separate you from his love for you, beloved. Not even death, because even death itself is now just a doorway to the lover of our souls. The late Tim Keller once said this about death. I'm paraphrasing here. He says, if you do not believe in God, then death will take away everything meaningful to you. But believe the gospel and fear no darkness. Brothers and sisters, let's remember also the life of Jesus, the life that he lived in this world. Suffering and glory were part of Jesus' life in full, not just on the cross, but in his entire life in his earthly ministry here. That's why Isaiah 53 says that the Messiah would be a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Even think about it for a second. If you're here and you're not a Christian, if we were making up a Messiah, it would not be one like that who would suffer, who would be acquainted with grief all throughout his days in this world. Jesus even said himself that foxes have holes and birds have nests. Foxes and birds that he created, by the way, but that the Son of Man did not have a place to rest his head. Jesus' suffering was not just on the cross, but on his, in his condescension, leaving the praise of heaven, coming down to this world, robing himself in flesh, being able to be tired and weary and burdened. And Jesus, when he was here, he didn't live in a bubble. Like, he got his hands dirty. He got hungry. He got tired, he got sad, and he wept in this world. The Bible also says he was tempted in every single way so that he could be our great high priest. So we can approach him boldly and receive his mercy. It's in the Hebrews 2 what it says about Jesus. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing, all, bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That's why he is not ashamed to call him brothers. Brothers and sisters in Christ, 
Our Lord is not ashamed of you. Remember that. Verse 12 saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Verse 17, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus indeed suffered in this world, but Jesus right now is glorified. He is ruling and reigning right now at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus is clothed in gladness so that we could be clothed in his righteousness by faith in him. And he is praying for you, beloved, and he will come back for you, beloved. And like his word says, when you see him, you will be like him, for you will see him as he is. Glorious. And in the meantime, as we suffer in this life, as we think about lament and praise, we might be thinking, how do we do that? There's a few points of application. How do we toggle between lament and praise in our lives? First of all, allow his goodness to fill in the gaps. Allow the goodness of God to fill in the gaps. What do I mean? I mean, when we're suffering, when there's pain going on in our lives, we want to know every single plan and detail that the Lord has in mind. We might believe in Romans 8 when it says all things will work together. We're like, yeah, amen. Show me how that's going to happen, Lord. That means some of us need to resist the urge to constantly question everything. To question the depths of his sovereign will. Because questions of our past often haunt us, don't they? And of our future, these questions often worry us. It be questions about a tragedy or a loss that you've experienced or a way that you've been sinned against. Why would the Lord allow those things? Or even the future. Will the Lord provide that job that I need? Will the Lord heal me in this life? Will my family member ever come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? Or what does the Lord even want me to do in my life? But we should allow the goodness of the Lord to fill in the gaps. Now hear me. That means that we're not just trying to tie a bow on all of our suffering. We should indeed lament and grieve. That's good and right for us to do. But we're going directly to the Lord when we do that. That's what he wants us to do. Not running away from him in fear or dread or shame, but leaving it at his feet and trusting that he will work. Somehow, some way, at some time, for his glory. So maybe instead of asking, Lord, why? We should ask, Lord, where can I find your goodness right now? I believe that's a prayer that he will always answer. He does not always give us answers to these deep and pressing questions that we might have, but he always offers himself to us.
his presence, his word, his people, the comfort of his Holy Spirit are constantly available to you 24-7 every day of the week. Just think about how the Lord revealed himself in Exodus 34. The Lord is gracious, full of mercy, slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love. This is the God that we get to call on by faith today, even right now. And yes, he is also just. That's why he said he will not clear the guilty. But because your sins have been forgiven by Christ, you've already been declared righteous by him. Don't turn away from him. Go to him. That means when we don't understand, we can allow his goodness to fill in the gaps for us. Trusting in what he's done and trusting in his future promises as well. And if you're struggling to see what those promises are, if you're struggling to see that today, look to your brother and sister in Christ to remind you. If someone's suffering, brother and sister, let me just say this. We might sometimes feel it's a little out of pocket or out of place to, to share God's word with them. Please don't ever feel that. Please don't ever feel that. Use God's words to say what we can't say. You might not get the response you want immediately, but God uses his word for the good of his people. Let's continue to share it with hope. And as we reflect on the unchanging character of our God, it should give us hope and reason to continue to praise him. Secondly, we should allow God's people to remind us of our hope. Allow God's people to remind us of our hope. I have two sisters, and if we were after school waiting for our parents to pick us up, if I had a little bit of money, then that means I had to make sure that money was stretched so that all three of us would eat. Right? Like, that's just how it was. We would sometimes put our money together and go to Burger King or Checkers or whatever and see what we could get. But it's like, if I'm going to eat, you're going to eat too. If I got it, you got it too. And we should act that way and continue to live in that way when it comes to our encouragement and our hope. So that means if you have hope this afternoon, come ready and willing to share it with somebody, anybody, because somebody needs it. But that also means that we must be willing to receive that. Some of us love to give and love to share and love to encourage. But when we need that encouragement, it's hard to receive it. Let your brothers and sisters in Christ love you. As a church, continue to do what it says in Galatians 6, verse 2. Carry one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. If you're struggling today, don't carry that burden alone. Take it to the Lord in prayer and share it with your brother and sister in Christ so that they can carry that load with you. Again, that's what we do on our Lord's Day. We sing, we pray, we think about the Lord's goodness in our lives, we think about the Lord's goodness in each other's lives, we read and hear his word preached together, we take the Lord's Supper together, we sing together, we long for the day that we will feast in the house of Zion together. Again, if you're lacking hope today, you are in the right place. Let's continue to be good stewards of this hope that we have 
in Christ. Lastly, allow God's mercy to fill you with gratitude. Allow God's mercy to fill you with gratitude. That's why it ends there by saying, O Lord, my God, in verse 12 of Psalm chapter 30, O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. And hearts of gratitude just sort of overflow into praise. That just makes sense, right? Colossians 3.15, let the, pre- the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So we need to be thankful. And we can find ways to be thankful to the Lord for every good gift that he's given us. But let me remind you that the good gifts that he's given us are also sitting in his room. So along with thanking the Lord in prayer, we should also thank one another for the gift of each other. And that might be awkward sometimes, but just try it out. Just do it. Say, I'm really thankful for the way you encourage me. I'm really thankful for what you did for me two years ago that I never told you thank you for. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are sweet gifts that we've been given by the Lord. Let's find ways to pass that thankfulness on to one another. And we as God's people should be characterized by thankfulness and by hope, which means that we can go from lament to praise even in the darkest of times. 2020 was the year for pretty much everybody. But before 2020, the year of most of my grief and sorrow was actually 2015. We were in London at the time as bivocational missionaries. It was an important year for us. It was helpful in so many different ways. One of my daughters was born that year. But it was also a year of a lot of grief and sorrow. Navigating relationships back home, an exhausting work commute, things that went awry at the initial church that we were part of. And as missionaries, you're supposed to write these letters that say, everything's great. Thousands of people got saved. Praise the Lord. And I couldn't write those words. So I shared in one of those letters my thankfulness to the Lord for the things that were happening in our lives that were good, but also ended by saying, this year has just been especially hard. But I ended that letter with these words to a familiar hymn that I think we know, words that became more and more precious to me throughout the years. Pardon from sin and a peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Let's pray. Lord, help us to be grateful and thankful. Help us to remember all that you've done and all that you are. Help my brothers and sisters who are mourning, who are grieving right now. Help us as a church to encourage one another by reminding ourselves of the truth of the gospel. When in this life, 
lament, and praise often coexist at the same time in the same body, in the same church. God, give us grace to see your goodness throughout it. And would you help us to fill in that gap between lament and praise with hope in your goodness and your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.